as we read Genesis, we're going to see things that are picked up by other authors besides Moses, and, uh, but especially in the prophets and so on, this different themes that are picked up and carried on and taught. And so we learn a lot about how to read our Bible as we read Genesis, especially these first few chapters. And so uh, as I preach this morning, I'm going to be throwing out different things. Uh, If you have questions, I want you to be sure to ask me. Uh, You can talk to me, you can email me, you can text me. Many ways to communicate nowadays, but... uh, I want to be clear this morning, but we've got a lot of ground to cover, and so we'll get to that uh, as best we can. So, with that, let me read to you from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History website. Okay, Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, from their website, about their mission. It says, our mission is to promote understanding of the natural world and our place in it. The museum's collections tell the history of the planet and are a record of human interaction with the environment and one another. As we all work to shape a sustainable world, this record becomes the starting point. It is our guidebook to how the future can look and work. We steward a collection of 147 million specimens and artifacts, Each one reflects a moment in space and time. In these moments, we find Earth's story. Now, that is what the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History claims. And there are remarkable uh, discoveries to be found there. And if you have the opportunity to go, I would encourage you to go. Now, uh, you have to understand, though, there's one problem with the methods used in studying natural history. It completely ignores supernatural history. And so it's, it's kind of like studying the, the earth, and the, the one thing that, one rule that you have to go by is that there's no supernatural. And so as they study and they look at things, they're like, well, I just don't see how this could happen without a, f- a few million years. And they're like, well, we've already went several million years. What's a few more? Right? Let's just back it up a little bit more and give it more time and, and that type of thing. And so uh, it's, it's, this, it's ignoring part of reality. And uh, if you want to understand reality and your place in it, then you must consider both the natural and the supernatural world. So today I want to introduce to you the record of reality. This record takes into account the reality that there is both a natural and supernatural world. I want you to read with me the supernatural and natural account of world history found in the book of Genesis. In this book, we will find God's purpose for our world and our purpose in it. We will read the account of a universe that had a glorious beginning, a tragic fall, and ultimately a God-glorifying future. Let's begin our look at Genesis and see that God created all reality and gave it and us purpose for today and all eternity. Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3, and see a blessed beginning. A blessed beginning. We could go ahead and go to the the, uh, slide there. Okay, so there's kind of the outline. I hope that you can see that. 
we're going to put our heads down and we're going to plow now, okay, as we go. There's a lot of territory to cover. But we're going to set the stage here first. The, the summary statement is that God created everything out of nothing. This first verse contains seven Hebrew words. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But immediately, we read that there is something amiss. In Genesis 1, verses 2 and, uh, 2a and 2b, we read, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Here we see a planet in chaos. It appears the earth is in some sort of state of judgment. Now, we're not told what happened or why. It's just that's what it appears to be. At some point, after everything was created, planet earth sits in a state of disarray. The earth is unformed and void. It's empty of life. Darkness is over the face of the deep, chaotic waters. It's, it's the word that's used for abyss. And it covers the whole earth. And darkness and water are both tools and symbols of God's judgment. Darkness and water are tools and symbols of God's judgment. So when we encounter them as we read the Scriptures, that helps our understanding. Darkness and water will be used throughout the Bible as tools and symbols of God's judgment decreation, and chaos. Consider flood, the flood waters of judgment. Think of Egypt's ninth plague. What was the ninth plague upon Egypt? Darkness, right? And if we follow those plagues, there's ten times that God speaks. As we will see today, there's ten times God speaks when he creates. He is decreating Egypt and leaving them in a state of chaos. He is going to overwhelm Egypt's armies with the floodwaters of the Red Sea after Israel has walked through on dry land. There's a lot of recreation going on there. In Isaiah 8, verses 5 through 8, the Assyrian army is compared to floodwaters bringing judgment upon Israel. Darkness enveloped Jerusalem when Jesus hung on the cross. But here we see in Genesis, the cosmos are in chaos, but there is hope. Look at the last part of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Hebrew word here for spirit is also used for wind or breath. And if you even think in your mind what happened when the Israelites were standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was being held off, darkness on one side towards the Pharaoh's armies, light on the other side. What was, what was happening over the Red Sea? The wind was blowing, right? Separating the waters. The Spirit of God here is hovering over the face of the waters. He overshadowed Mary and created Jesus in her womb. We we're told that the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed upon with the Holy Spirit. He is there to work out God's words. He is to carry along God's words. We see here in Genesis 1-2, 
like a Red Cross cargo plane loaded with disaster aid is waiting for landing instructions. God's Spirit hovers, ready to carry along God's words as He speaks to His creation in order to form it and to fill it. And then we have day one. God speaks. Day one begins. Darkness is brought into order. Look at verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And we have several things here. Uh, One commentary states that the act of naming in the ancient Near East was an act of sovereign dominion. So by God naming these things, he is taking dominion over them. At this point, God himself is the light. God is exerting his control over the darkness. On day four, he will delegate the rule of day and night to the sun and moon, but not here. And this is not to say that the sun and moon are divine beings. It just means that the division of night and day and the giving of light to the earth are given over to the natural order God created them for. Also note that it is only the light that is called good. Darkness is used for, used for and symbolized, symbolizes judgment as well as evil. God, as the light, separates light from darkness, good and evil. And and we see these themes carried out into the New Testament. Jesus is the light who came to initiate the new creation. In John 1, verses 3 and 4, we read, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything anything made that was made. In him was life, and life, and the life was the light of men. In John 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And in John three nineteen, we read this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Those who repent of their sins and follow Jesus as Lord are to walk in His light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7 through 7, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, make today the day. Repent of your sin and come into the light and follow Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation. But let's return to Genesis and look at day two. Remembering that darkness, chaotic waters, and an unformed empty earth are the problems that God is fixing, or as one person to told me, he said, you don't have problems, you have projects. So perhaps maybe we should say it's projects that God is working on. Next, the waters are brought into order. Look at verse 6. And God said, second time he speaks, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. In ancient times, remember the the Bible was written to an ancient audience. In ancient times, the sky was viewed as a canopy that restrained the waters until the windows of heaven would be opened. This is how the creation of what we would call our atmosphere is described. Now, this does not mean that God didn't understand how weather worked. Of course, he knows. But God condescends to describe the cosmos in a way in which the listeners would understand. The Bible was not written to describe the details of how weather patterns work. It was written to an ancient audience about Christ the Messiah, and it was written for our benefit. God is exerting his dominion, his control over the waters. They will only bring judgment when and how he allows. Note also the absence of the phrase, and God saw that it was good. In day one, he called the light good, but not the darkness. Here, no mention of good. Again, waters are used for and symbolize judgment. In the new creation, in fact, there will be no seas, and the water supply will be the river of life flowing from God's throne. Now, we we start to see the consummation. If we go from creation all the way to the consummation at the end, Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There's not going to be any chaos, disorder, judgment. Revelation 22.1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Well, we could spend more time there, but we need to move on to day three. And here in day three, we see that the earth is formed. Remember, it was without form. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Instead of dividing here, as he did on the first two days, God gathers the waters together and places boundaries upon them, and that allows the dry land to appear. Seven times in the creation record we read, God saw that it was good. Since day two did not have this phrase, we're going to see it twice on day three. First here in reference to the dry land, but then as God is done now forming the earth, he now begins to fill it in his second creative act on day three. Look at verse 11. We see the earth filled with vegetation. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. For the second time on day three, God sees that it was good. And now we move to day four, where God begins to fill the things that he formed in days one through three. And that's what I've got, tried to contrast there uh, with day one, two, three, and day four, five, and six on the screen. Day four, 
corresponds to day one, where we see the sky is filled with purposeful light. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. In verse 14, we read, God said, in verse 16, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And then God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. On day four, God delegates the rule of the day and night to the natural order of the sun and the moon. This is, again, not to say that they're divine beings. It just means that he is dividing night from day. There is now order where there was chaos. And we see the giving of light to the earth. They have a purpose here. They are to light the earth. And uh, God will resume one day. In the consummation, in the new creation, God will resume his role as being the sole source of light. In Revelation 21, 23, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Revelation 22, verse 5, And night will be no more. There will, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see how the Apostle John is bringing to conclusion all the things that began here in Genesis 1. But for now, it's the sun and the moon which bring order to the day and night. Beyond that, we find several other purpose statements for the sun and moon. They are for signs, like Christ's birth. They are for seasons, such as the constellations. You can tell what time of year it is and days and years. There are rhythms of time that are created here. But also they are to give light on the earth. We, as children of light, are to be lights of righteousness in this sin-darkened world. Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Beloved, as a new creation in Christ Jesus the Lord, shine the light of righteousness in this sin-darkened world. Now let's move on to day five. It corresponds to day two. The sky and the sea are filled with blessed fowl and fish. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them. Ah, here's something new, God's blessing. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth, especially 
at the corners and the intersections in the Rio Grande Valley. I would just add, you know, some manuscripts read. No, I'm just kidding. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Day five, again, corresponds to day two. The sky and the sea are now to be filled with fowl and fish. Here is the first of three blessings pronounced in the creation account. The fowl and the fish are to multiply and fill the air and the sea with life. Then we have the first part of day six. The earth is filled with animals. Look at verses 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God creates animals and man from the earth. Now, just a question as we think about how to read our Bibles, where do we see the beasts of Daniel come from? Where are they formed from? The seas, right? From the chaos. But we'll move on. Day six, let's see how God creates blessed images for his earthly temple. See, out of all the universe, God has chosen earth to be known and worshipped. It will be his cosmic temple where he will be known and worshipped. Look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Second time we see the word blessing. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, same as the birds and the fish, but now we have more, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now there's a ton here, and, I, and Lord willing, we'll uh, next week or in the coming weeks, we'll take a look just at the image of man and what it means. But for now, let me just give you a few observations, okay, so that we can get out of here before 2 o'clock. First of all, when God says, let us make man in our image, uh, oftentimes uh, I've heard it said, uh, well, that's our first inkling of the Trinity. Now, that's reading something outside that's outside of the time that this was written that's not what they would have understood this as okay what the readers uh, that were that genesis was written to would have understood this to be would be what is called a divine council in other words god god is god is the most high god there are other divine beings right we have angels we have watchers that are mentioned in the bible we have all these divine beings uh, sometimes called the sons of god 
And they would gather in a council. Now, we don't have time to go through that this morning. On your handout, I've given you, uh, just it just says divine council, and then it has the reference, and then it has references to other times we see a divine council. It would be when, when, God, uh, when God calls together this divine council, there's thrones gathered, and he is there, and he solicits input, and then, or he makes decisions, and then there's a discussion about how it will be carried out, and then he goes, he goes about his business, okay? And so this is God in his divine counsel saying, let us make. And, and the thing of it is, is God's the powerful one that's going to do the making. So it's, it's kind of like uh, what I like to call the singular we. It's when I, talk, when I talk to Kim and there's some dish that I'd like to have for dinner. I say, you know, we, we really need to have pork chops this evening, right? And she, She's like, she carries it out, right? She's the one. Well, God's going to say, let us, and then he's going to, right? So he's going to make man and woman. And we see here, both male and female are created in the image of God because it takes two to be fruitful. And there are implications for that in what we believe about men and women and their purposes and identities, and no matter how the world tries to confound the language, we have here male and female, and it takes two of us to be fruitful, one of each. Now, the mandate itself is part of bearing God's image. Just as God subdued the darkness and the chaotic waters and turned the earth into a fruitful place, which had his blessing, so are we to tame the wilderness of the earth to take dominion of it, to make it fruitful and fill the earth with image bearers that worship God. As God's image bearers, mankind was to represent or is to represent God on earth. So if we think of the earth as a cosmic temple, God comes down and he places his images in the temple. This is why no images are made of God in his temple. You are to be the image bearers, you see. God doesn't want us making images. We have, the, we have the formation, the beginning of the Ten Commandments here, not having idols. We are to be the representations of God in his temple. To encounter a human was to see a reflection of God Almighty. Now, this purpose doesn't last long, you know. Spoiler alert, as we get into future chapters, right? But that's for another time and another text. God formed the earth as his cosmic temple, and he places his image bearers in it. And then, in Genesis chapter 2, we read God enjoying his accomplishment. Verse 1 ties back into verse 1 of chapter 1, when it talks about the heavens and the earth, the whole thing. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And then in verse 2 and 3 we read this, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Here we read that God finished, God rested, And then he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So he finished, rested, and blessed the seventh day and made it holy. 
What does it mean to be made holy? It means to set apart for the purposes of God. Okay? To be distinguished. Uh, and I've used this example with you before. These chairs that are out here uh, have the purpose of for people uh, sitting them and, and being able to look up here at the song leader and at the stage. But these chairs have been set apart for a different purpose. These are for the people that are up here leading the service. And so they've been set apart. So when something is set apart for God's service, it's called holy. Okay? It's been made holy. It has holy purposes. And so God has made the seventh day holy. Now, you may re- read there in verses 2 and 3 and say, boy, he says the same thing over and over again. It's like kind of repetitive, right? And, and what we don't see, because we're English readers and we're reading a translation, is that there's, <laughs> in Hebrew, there's just some things that we're not going to see that, that Moses, as he is writing this, is, is making a very beautiful thing. Remember I told you in verse 1, there were seven Hebrew words. In verse 2, there's 14. So seven times two. Then when we come back down here, we have three sevens. So we have one, one, two, one, two, three, down here, sevens. This number that represents completion, perfection. And so we, that, that's why you'll read there the same phrase several times. Moses is, Moses is making it fit into seven words each time. Note the Sabbath here. We have no formula for morning and evening the seventh day, right? Do you see that? Or do you not see that? It's not there. The Sabbath here is presented as a never-ending day. It's a foreshadowing that all creation is headed for that never-ending Sabbath day where there will be eternal rest. As Hebrews 4.9 says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We've got days going on, going on, going on. And, and, when, and, and what he's referring to there is a psalm that talks about how uh, Joshua had brought the people in and they were supposed to find rest in the promised land, but they didn't really find it there and, because the psalmist is writing about it. And he says, look, if they didn't find it when they got in the promised land and the psalmist is saying that they still haven't found it, then we haven't found it yet either. We're waiting for that eternal rest. That eternal day, as we read in Revelation twenty-one twenty-three, and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. And so we have in these first seven days the setup for the whole story of the Bible. And God, we see here in this first chapter, God, the, is the, who is the creator of all reality, brought light, order, and life to a dark, chaotic, and empty earth to which he gave dominion of to his blessed image bearers. And then he rested. And that, folks, is reality. So what are some takeaways for us? Well, all creation is under God's sovereign control. He reigns supreme. None of it is outside of his control. The spiritual realm and the natural realm are all subject to Him. So that's number one. Number two, blessing comes from God. Three times 
God blesses his creation. In this creation account, he blesses the animals, he blesses humanity, and he blesses the Sabbath. Now, if God is the source of blessing, then it only follows that when God speaks, we should what? Yeah, we ought to listen. Ten times in this passage we are told God said three times he's speaking when he's talking about the creation of man. This, is, this ten times is preparing Israel to receive the Ten Commandments. It prepares Christians to obey Christ, the Lord of all creation. In John 14, 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. God is the source of blessing, and when he speaks, we should listen. We also see here that the Sabbath rhythm is set up. As God rested, and, and, and when it says rest, it's not like God was exhausted. More, more to what is being said there is, is that he, he took time to enjoy. In other words, he'd done this work, and, he, and it was very good. And it's just like he sat down and said, well, now I'm just going to enjoy. Right? And so what we have in our lives, sometimes we work very hard on something, and and it takes time. It's not necessarily exhausting to us, but it just takes time. But when we get done with it, we, then we just take time to enjoy it. And that's what we see God doing on this Sabbath. He rested and enjoyed his creation. We, as his followers, should make it a regular practice to gather with the church on Sunday and enjoy God as part of his new creation. Because as born-again believers, we are new creatures, new creations, the Scriptures tell us. And we should take time out of our lives on a weekly basis and gather together and enjoy the God who recreated us. I'm not saying that this is a law, okay? This is not a law for Christians to keep. I'm not a Sabbatarian. But it is an opportunity to enjoy the blessings of God regularly. And it's something that we need, right? Because we come, and we sing to God, but then we hear God's Word spoken to us. Right? And I'm not saying that I'm in place of God. Please understand. But we're, we, we've just read through God's Word. You've heard it read, and you've heard it explained and so then we should obey. We go from here and we obey. Because that's the source of blessing. So here we finish the first chapter of Genesis. And we find here God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. And at the end of the book, we find God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. So we have this big arc here. And in the middle, we find Christ bringing new creation and bringing image bearers. We'll get into all that, Lord willing, in the future. But I want, what I want you to come away with this morning is that God created all reality and He gave it and us purpose for today and for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to come and to look at reality how you brought this world into existence, not just this world, but this universe 
into existence and how you brought it into order. And yet we see that there are darkness and chaotic waters still in this world today. But you have defeated the powers of darkness at the cross. And one day you will recreate this world and there will be no darkness and there will be no judgment waters. And there will be a day when there is no sickness and no pain, no sorrow, no need for a sun and no need for a moon. Just righteousness. We will dwell in your presence as your people and enjoying your place and enjoying the fact that you dwell among us. Father, until that time, as we gather here, we are told that we are your temple as the church. And I pray, Father, that your temple would be holy, that we would take heed to your word. And out of our love for our Savior, Jesus, we would keep his commandments to love others and to be forgiving and to bring light upon this darkened world. Oh, Father, strengthen us for this task. May we see your kingdom increase and grow and have dominion here on this earth until you come back and you recreate it all for that eternal Sabbath day. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that. Strengthen us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.